your Bibles. If you're, there's pew Bibles, uh, some around, uh, sitting maybe in a chair near you, or if you brought your Bible, or you can turn in your phone. Turn in your phone, or you can turn, I don't even know what that means, uh, to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through 9. And as you're turning there, I just want to, uh, we're coming to a close with the mini-series that uh, I've been preaching on in uh, Philippians, uh, focusing in on the subject of joy. Um, and one thing that I really want, if there's nothing else that you catch from this, it's this. <laughs> so I hope that you can catch this one thing. It's that uh, joy can be found in the person of Jesus um, and nowhere else. Because ultimately, the foundation of joy is in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who created this world with joy and who made you with joy, and who came to save you with joy. And so my hope is that you would understand that in order to find joy, you have to look no further than the person of Jesus himself. This is what we actually hear Paul saying in his letter to the Philippians. He's telling the Philippians to look to Jesus. Um, in Philippians chapter 1, we looked at joy uh, in, in relationship to uh, Paul's circumstances. When he is chained up in a prison where death is almost certain that he's going, it's almost certain that he's going to die, and he still is telling the Philippians to rejoice, and that he rejoices. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we looked at that, how we, even in the, our most sorrowful circumstances, we can have joy. Um, not only that, we looked in chapter 2, and when Paul begins to marvel at Jesus himself, he looks at Jesus, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. That's where you're going to find joy, because look, at that's what Jesus did. We can find joy in the humility and exaltation of Jesus. Not in our own humility, but in the humility and exaltation of Jesus. And as we look at Jesus and the way he humbled himself and came uh, to us in the most humble form, and then was exalted, that's where we can find joy, in that type of humility. And then uh, Lee took us through the end of chapter 2, and we looked at how, how are we going to obey? And actually, like, joy and obedience are related. That joy is going to be the inspiration and the motivation for us to actually obey. And then we uh, took a uh, look at chapter 3, when Paul is uh, talking about his own flesh. And he's saying, I don't, have confident in my, I don't need to have confidence in my flesh. No, I consider all those things that I can be confident about, rubbish, trash compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's talking about joy and in relationship to his identity. So we've been kind of taking this sort of, you know, almost like you were to, to look at a diamond and kind of how it reflects kind of all the different sort of ways it radiates. Um, so we're, we're looking at how uh, the depth at which Paul is exploring the subject of joy and we're going to come to the end of our time here and we're going to look at chapter 4 and how uh, Paul talks about joy in relationship to anxiety. Anybody in here deals with, deal with anxiety? <laughs> good, I'm not alone. Okay, good, yeah. <laughs> um, so then this sermon is meant for you, just as, as, as it is meant for me, because we can actually have joy in the midst of uh, our most anxious circumstances. Um, and so I want to explore that with you, but first uh, let's pray and ask God to, uh, to be with us as we enter into uh, hearing from his word. Father, we come before you and ask that you would um, be with us. We ask that you would um, 
be with the, the, the reading and the preaching of your word. Uh, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and ultimately hearts that receive your word with faith and with joy. Help us to find joy in you, Jesus. Help us to, to know you, um, to abide in you, to be united to you, Jesus. Uh, help us to, uh, to, to know that you ultimately take joy in us. That the, the crazy thought that for the joy that was set before you when you endured the cross, you were thinking about the joy of relationship with us. I pray that that would motivate us and inspire us even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, actually, I'm going to read the scriptures now. So follow, uh, follow with me here, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your, sorry, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, what is true, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So I had a moment two years ago where I thought I was going to die. I was vacationing with my family at the beach in Florida, and we were getting ready to pack up to leave, and I was trying to get one more bike ride in before we left the beach, just so that I could kind of get some exercise in. It was going to be a long trip, back, drive back, and I wanted to get some exercise in, but also wanted just to sort of breathe in the ocean air, and just experience the beach one more time, one more morning, before I had to go back to my regular life. Anybody ever ride their bike at the beach or love, enjoy watching the, yeah. So I, I, I woke up, and I just kind of, I didn't even, I just kind of put my exercise clothes on, didn't even think about anything other than just going to get my bike and hopping on the bike just for about a 45-minute bike ride. I was, I had timed it out. I was going to go down four miles to the end of the road and come, come back four miles. It was going to be an eight-mile round trip. It was going to be a wonderful morning, and came outside. The weather looked fine. Hopped on my bike, and the first four miles was easy. It was great. Flat, flat road, no, no, no hills, no nothing. Not compared to Atlanta, where there are hills. That's not good <laughs> for somebody who doesn't like hills. <laughs> so I take every opportunity to ride my bike on flat roads. Um, so uh, I, I was enjoying my ride, and then so I got to the end of the road, turned back, and I was like, okay, I'll be home in about 20 minutes, and then I can help my family pack up, and we can get on the road. Well, I noticed as I was starting to pedal, I, I was thinking the pedaling was getting harder, but I was remembering I'm not going up on a hill right now. All of a sudden, I, I realized that the wind was starting to pick up a little bit, enough to where it was going to affect my timing of getting home. I was like, okay, I'm not going to get home in 20 minutes. This might take 30, 35 minutes because I'm going a lot slower. But I said, you know what? It's okay. Uh, I've got my rain jacket. You know, I'll put my rain jacket on. I stopped, put, put my rain jacket on because it was getting a little windy. Um, and I just said, I'm just going to keep going. I'm only, you know, probably a couple miles away from, from where we're staying. Uh, and so I kept, 
I kept uh, riding and pedaling. The pedaling got harder. The pedaling got harder. And I noticed the wind was kind of picking up uh, even more so. And, and the, the heavy winds was kind of coming up uh, uh, against me as I was, as I was uh, pedaling. And then it started to kind of sprinkle a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I've ridden my bike through wind and rain before. This is nothing. I'll just, you know, I'll just keep, keep uh, toughing it out, keep going through. And I noticed that people were stopping, like cars were stopping on the side of the road, and they were looking out to the ocean. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Well, I'll just, I didn't stop. I just kept going. Didn't it even occur to me to stop and look at what was happening in the ocean. Because I was almost home. I was going to make it, or I was almost back to where we were staying. And then I noticed that not only were cars stopping, but there were people who were coming out of their condominiums and who were coming out of their hotels and who were looking out of their balconies at the, at the ocean. And even one woman yelled out to me, hey, be careful out there. There's a storm out at the ocean. And I was like, okay. I didn't look out at the ocean. I just decided to keep riding my bike. And then I noticed the pedaling got harder. The rain picked up. It got darker. And I saw, to the point where this happened in kind of a split second, I got to the point where I couldn't pedal anymore. The rain was coming down. And I decided just to, st- just to kind of stop and take my bike over. There happened to be a palm tree over on, just to my right. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of settle here for a second. And I just, I'll just be under this tree as the, as the storm passes by. Right then, three telephone poles snapped right across the street from me. And you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? This was like The Wizard of Oz. There were trash cans, <laughs> no kidding, that were off of, they were elevated off of the road, flying down the road. A, tor- a water spout had come off of the ocean and had, I had missed it by 500 feet. Do, do you want me to tell you how I know that? Because... It took off, there was a convenience store that was literally 500 feet from where I was at the tree that took all, it took the roof off of the convenience store. I was sitting there, I didn't know that at the time, I saw the telephone pole snap, I saw the trash cans flying down the road, and I don't know if you've ever been in a position like this where death seems certain, where you get to a point where you're like, I actually might die here, I'm trying to get my phone out to text Maya, and my phone is soaked. I can't even text her to say, I love you. <laughs> I might die. <laughs> and then I pray. I've, I've prayed some honest prayers in my life. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point where you pray like the most honest, like just deepest prayer. And this is what came out. I prayed, oh God, no, not now, no. That was my prayer. Because I didn't want to die. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want to die. As I was hunkered down, and I don't know why, I was like um, holding on to my bike with my left hand and holding on to the tree with my right hand as the telephone poles were snapping, as the wind was coming by me. And then, I mean, the rain was so heavy that there were just like puddles that were, you know, up to my, up to my shins. I carried my bike and I ran through the puddles back to, uh, back to meet my family and, and I get back, and Maya's like, hey, did you know there's a storm here? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I just survived it. Um, I think I just <laughs> survived uh, uh, where I w- thought I was going to die. So, you know, I live to tell about this. I, but I got to this, this moment where, like, this one little moment, this one moment where I was like, I actually might die. Like, I, 
the tornado could come and get me and, and just take me up, or it could, there could be glass that could be shattered. Something might hurt me. And that's what anxiety is. I mean, like literally, I literally had a tornado looming and approaching me that I didn't even know was there until it came upon me and threatened my life. Literally. But we all kind of have what I would call symbolic or figurative tornadoes in our lives that kind of loom over us that create anxiety that's going to threaten your life as you know it. Maybe you could even name that. A tornado, a water spout that turns into a tornado, whatever you want to name it, that's figurative in your life that's looming, that could possibly threaten the way you live your life as you know it. What is that tornado for you? What is that fear that you have? That's what anxiety is. It's living in a moment where you are afraid that tornado is going to come and disrupt your life and even maybe even take your life as you know it. That's what anxiety is. That's what we live in. We live in that anxiety is something's going to take, something's going to destroy me. Something's going to come over and I can't control it. I got lucky that I was 500 feet away and barely missed uh, the, the tornado. What are you going to do when that tornado comes? What are you going to do when, when, uh, when the tornado is approaching? How are you, going to, are you going to live your life filled with anxiety that it's just going to destroy you? Or how, how can we live in the midst of these things that are looming around us that create anxiety? That's what I want to explore with you. Uh, and the ways in which we can actually, in the midst of the most anxious circumstances in our lives, we can still actually have joy. Isn't that crazy? We can still have joy. That's what Paul is, uh, is saying to here. He says this, look at verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, <laughs> even about a tornado that's coming. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything? Paul, are you serious? anything? Like fill in the blank anything? But you don't know, Paul. You don't know what I'm going through. I mean, I know you're chained up to a guard and you might die. <laughs> Paul knows. I mean, really, he could be anxious. But he says, do not be anxious about anything. If there's anything that you can fill in the blank, Paul is saying, you don't have to be anxious about it. That's insane because I come to times in my life when my circumstances feel like, no, I deserve to be anxious about this. And we have to remember, I mean, uh, going back to, if you don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that Paul is in prison. And he has every reason to be anxious about his own circumstances, but he is an example of how to be joyful in the midst of anxiety. So that's why I want us to get, again to look at how can we move from anxiety uh, to joy. First, look at me at verse, verse 5. Look at me uh, we just looked at verse 6, but look at verse 5. This, kind of, this, this uh, verse kind of is unsettling to me because it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What does that mean, reasonableness? Some translations uh, translate that word gentleness. And here's what I think we need to know about this word. Either way, that word uh, means to have an even temper. And not in the kind of southern way, like, oh, gentle in the southern way, or like, not that kind of gentleness, not that kind of reasonableness. That's not what's really, not the stoic kind of way. Like, just, just shove your anxiety deep down and just kind of push it down and then just kind of pretend like everything's okay. Because that's what, that's what kind of culturally we do, right? We can be very stoic. Like, 
present that face of like, hey, I'm reasonable, I'm gentle, everything's okay, but deep down inside, you really have that anxiety. If we were to kind of open, open you up, you would see that there's anxiety deep down. That's not what Paul's saying. Now, here's what he's telling us. He's saying deep down, we can actually have an expectation that all will be well. You can have an expectation deep down, so deeply rooted in you, that all will be well, no matter what storm comes your way. That there's a rootedness that you can have, and there's a reason for that. And he gives us the reason right in the next verse. He says this, actually in the same verse, (laughs) verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, having that expectation all will be well, because the Lord is at hand. That's why you can actually have an expectation that all will be well. Paul's not at hand. Remember that. Paul's not at hand. He's away in prison. And the Philippians are, are, are dealing with their own anxiety about, about that. Paul is in prison, and the certainty of death is completely palpable to him, and it's also palpable to the Philippians. Paul tells them that they can face their circumstances, in any circumstance, for that matter, when they know that the Lord is near. Friends, I believe that that's the one thing that we need to hear today, that you need to hear, that I need to hear, is the Lord is at hand. And I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you are feeling that the Lord is actually near to you, or maybe you're feeling the Lord is far away from you. And so often we try to kind of locate God or Jesus based on our feeling, right? If I feel like that anxiety, it feels like God is far away. It feels like when things are tough or challenging, it feels like God is far away. And maybe when things are going well, it feels like God is near. And what I want you to tell, tell you is the way you locate God <laughs> is not based on your feeling, right? It's based on objective reality. It's based on the fact that God tells you and proclaims to you he is near. He is here. He is at hand. He is in, call, he's, he is in within calling distance. That when you call to him, he will come. He will be with you. He is in reaching and touching distance. So, so much so, I mean, I, I think about so many of you have young children, right? You, you can kind of let them go a little bit. Maybe the, if you're two or three, they go to a playground. Kind of let them play a little bit, but you kind of have to be kind of nearby in case they call out to you, right? Mom, Dad, you have to kind of be near to help them in case they fall, okay, to catch them. That's the same idea. The Lord is at hand. He is near to listen to you. He is aware of whatever you're going through. That's what this means. Not only is he aware, not only does he hear you, but he is ready to help. He is ready to save. The Lord is at at hand. He is your ever-present Father in a position to come to you. And he is ready to offer you his peace. He is ready to offer you joy. The Lord is at hand to give you what you need. And friends, that's the beginning of of how we can actually take joy in the midst of our anxiety. When we know that no matter what, no matter what circumstances you're going through, the Lord is with you. He is present. He is powerful. So, and here's what the way I want to organize this into a couple different ways. If we're going to turn our anxiety into joy, the knowledge of God's peace, the knowledge of God's presence, 
must, must permeate your prayer life and your thought life, okay? So if you're, let me say that again. If your anxiety is going to be turned into joy, then the knowledge of God's peace and his presence needs to permeate, needs to be in the midst of, needs to be in your prayer life and thought life. And I want to talk about that. So first, your prayer life. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. Paul tells us that we can know that God is at hand to offer you peace and to his presence and his help when your prayer life has two qualities. There's two qualities to your prayer life. And it says it right in the text in verses 6 and 7. In everything, <laughs> that in everything, and then with thanksgiving. There's those prepositions again. In everything <laughs> and with thanksgiving. So I have, uh, now I have two teenagers in the house, and uh, as a parent, I think the goal is that you're, they're supposed to move towards independence, <laughs> from dependence to independence. That's kind of what happens in general. They want to become more independent, and that's the goal, I hope, because that's what's happening in our house, until my kids want money. And then they text me, hey, Dad, can you put money on my account? I need to go to homecoming. <laughs> But the whole the goal is, is that there's independence, right? And my wife, my son is a senior in high school now, and my wife and I have been reflecting on when our kids were younger. Like many of you have younger kids. I was just uh, at the Eichholz's house the other day. I've been at the Cook's house as well, and I'm reminded of what it's like to have young children. I know little Milo, he's always like trying to be independent, but he's also very dependent on his parents. And if you have young kids, see if you can uh, resonate with this. And this was like, I was thinking about my daughter when she was a toddler, right? She would go and like try to reach for what she could grab, and then she would bring it to us. Whatever toy it was, she would bring it to us and present it to us. Look at what I found. It was always in relationship to us. Or if she couldn't go get it, she would go ask for help. Please, 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 right? That's what little children do. Parents, if you want to learn about how to pray... Learn from your children. <laughs> they are living examples of how to pray because they are dependent on you. That's what it's like to pray, to bring everything. That's what your toddlers do. They bring everything to you. That's how we can learn how to pray. Just simply watch children. <laughs> they bring everything to you. And that's what God wants us to come to him. He even gives us that example. Like children, to bring everything to him. No matter what it is, you can bring everything to him. And he will receive your prayer. He will receive your prayer. I can all too often want to just kind of hold on to my anxiety and kind of take it away from God and say, no, I can deal with this. I'm independent. I can take care of this on my own. I'm a grown man. I can do this. So often that's what's so confusing about growing up to be an adult. You grow up to be independent, but actually the reality is, is that we're called to be dependent on God and to bring everything to Him. So whatever it is that's inside you right now that's burning with anxiety inside you, that you're holding on to and maybe thinking you can take care of it yourself, I'm going to invite you to take that to God, to take whatever it is to God, to depend on him in everything. There's nothing that God wants to hear you. He wants you, no, even your complaints, he wants you to bring everything to him. God wants us to be, he wants you to be like your children. <laughs> There's nothing too small that we can bring to him. And we need to make a habit of bringing everything to him, regardless of how small we think it is. We can bring 
absolutely everything to him, knowing that, and what that does is it creates a habit of dependence, and it creates a habit to know that God is present with you in all things, even the smallest of things. He is present with you, and he wants to receive your prayers, your needs. So the second thing is not only in everything, but with thanksgiving. So second, with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to God. With thanksgiving? What? Wait a second. (laughs) I'm supposed to be thankful for the requests that I haven't seen the answer for yet? What about those things that God, I prayed for way back when, and God never seemed to answer them? I'm supposed to be thankful for that? What does that mean? (laughs) What do you mean, Paul? On what basis can I be thankful? Well, here's where I want us to look uh, in order to understand where the basis of our our thankfulness should be. uh, I think we should look at Jesus. And so I want to talk about that for a second. Go with me here for a second. I want to look at Jesus actually when he felt the most anxious in his life. Do you remember when that would possibly be? When he felt the most anxious in his life, the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was, a death was approaching for him, what did he do? What did he say? Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Luke even records that Jesus was in such agony that he began to sweat drops of blood. He saw the certainty of the death on the cross and he felt such despair that he wanted to get out. He wanted to get out of the way. He wanted to leave the storm that was coming. So he prayed, he even prayed to the Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And remember what we hear in Hebrews, that even for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That even in his moment of anxiety, his deepest moment of anxiety where he was sweating blood, the agony of death was approaching, that he actually moved into death with thanksgiving, with joy. Friends, do you know why we, why we actually pray in Jesus' name? We, we conclude our prayers and we say, how many times do you conclude your prayer? We pray in the name of Jesus. We can pray in the name of Jesus Because he has shown us that God is wise and good and that he's for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let me say that one more time. You can pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus shows us on the cross that God is wise and good and that he is for you in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You can offer your your request with thanksgiving because of the cross. You can pray in Jesus' name because of the cross. We can lift up everything with thanksgiving because in Jesus' name, because of what God has shown us, his wisdom and his goodness in sending Jesus to be, to die and to be raised again to new life. The cross is the place where God offers his peace and his presence to the world. And so in your prayer life, again, in everything, with thanksgiving, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can because of who God is, we can offer our requests to him in your prayer life. And so as we are able to do those things and everything and with thanksgiving, we are able to take more hold of God's presence and his peace as we pray in everything and with thanksgiving. And ultimately, that's what will turn our anxiety into joy. So second thing, uh, second point here I want to make is not only 
it does, uh, do we take hold of this through our prayer life, but also in our thought life? Look with me at verse 8. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. I can't read this verse without thinking about um, a movie I watched several years ago uh, with Jim Carrey called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It was actually filmed in the the neighborhood I lived in uh, in Brooklyn. And the movie centers on, let me tell you a little bit about the movie for a second and why we can all relate to it. The movie centers on a relationship between Joel, who is Jim Carrey. Uh, He's like an emotionally kind of withdrawn man. Uh, And Clementine, uh, his... Uh, his partner, who is a free-spirited woman. And what happens is Joel and Clementine get in this kind of nasty fight, uh, and then Clementine decides she's a free-spirited woman, so she decides she finds this company that can erase all of her memories. So she goes, and she goes to this company and begins the process of having her memories erased. And when Joel finds out what Clementine has done, he actually, he's so devastated, he goes and does the same thing to have his memories erased. And much of the movie takes place actually in Joel's mind uh, when the procedure's taking place of erasing his memories. And as Joel finds himself kind of revisiting these memories in his mind, he's able to see the happier times with him and and his partner Clementine. And he fights within his own mind to preserve some of those memories. I remember when I watched this at the end, I just cried. (laughs) because it struck a deep chord in me, because memories are so important to me. The memories of my family, the memories with my friends, the memories with my loved ones, are they not to you? Memories are to be cherished. That's why it's so hard when you have a loved one who's going through Alzheimer's, because they lose their memory. Memory is so important. It's so important to you and to me. And so often in our thought life, don't we do the same thing? Don't we just want to erase the bad memories? Just say, oh, we either want to erase the bad memories and say, Let's just, let me just get this out of my mind. Or we get fixated on the bad memories and we just think of the negative thoughts. And here's the point I want to make with this. Is that Paul knows how much we like memories and how quickly we can forget. How quickly, this is why the Bible is so much about calling God's people to remember what God has done in the past because God's people so quickly forget. We so quickly forget what God has done, the happier times. And we just kind of fixate on kind of the anxious circumstances in our lives. And we interpret God through those anxious circumstances, rather than actually remembering real events that have taken place in history that have shown God's wisdom and God's goodness to us. Paul is saying, think about those things. Think about what's excellent. Think about what's good. That's what Paul is calling us to. God is call, Paul is calling us to, sh- to remember the ways that we have seen God at work in his world and in our lives to bring peace and to show goodness. That's what he's calling us to do, to remember those events that are recorded in Scripture, to think about such things. You ever heard of the, the, the term beauty, truth, and goodness. <laughs> These are kind of Western idea thoughts that, 
that are kind of the, the pillars the philosophers of the, of the of Roman and Greek world use these as kind of pillars of education and of philosophy, that, that these are actually the pillars on which philosophy and education should be founded upon. And actually, I would argue, beauty, truth, and goodness, beauty, that which should be adored, truth, that which defines reality, goodness, that which achieves its purpose, all these things are meant, are actually a part of the foundation of the world. This is how God created. He created the world with beauty, with truth, and with goodness so that you and I could live in those things. But we live in a fallen world where we, we end up, instead of thinking on beauty and goodness and truth, we think on, of brokenness and death. How many of you spend most of your thought life <laughs> thinking about brokenness as opposed to beauty? Right? God is. This is what Paul is telling us. He's telling us to think about what's beautiful, not only in creation, but also in redemption. That he has redeemed this world to, bring, to renew what's beautiful, to renew what's good, to renew what is true. Friends, that's how we can rehearse the good news of the gospel in your thought life, is to think about those things that are true, that are good, that are beautiful, that are, as Paul says it, that is honorable, that is just, and particularly the things to think about, the truth of the good news of the gospel, that God is good and wise and coming to you in the person of Jesus. So I want to invite you to take hold of God's presence and peace to you through your prayer life and through your thought life. I've, got, I've been back twice now to, uh, to the place where the tornado happened, uh, and I've, we've been back there twice now, and I, I go back with my family, and I just go, and I just touch the tree. I call it the tree of life <laughs> because the, it was this small, it, and it really, you know, it seemed big at the time, but it's really small. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, tree. Really, I'm thanking God, but I'm saying thank you, tree, tree of life. Ultimately, because this is where I, I experienced God was at hand <laughs> to somehow save me in the, midst of my, uh, in the midst of my terrible circumstances that were approaching me. And I want to close with this. I mean, we can see here in verse 9, this is what uh, Paul says, What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? The God of peace. That's what, you, that's what, we want, that's what Paul wants the Philippians to take hold of. That's how you're going to find joy is to really know that the God of peace will be with you. I was thinking about uh, after the, the queen passed away and during, during her funeral, uh, I have a friend of mine from seminary who uh, now has his PhD in church history. He's a professor, and he posted about uh, uh, the queen, queen Elizabeth's first speech. I don't know if you remember this, in 1947, when um, this was right after, what's so funny? <laughs> this is right after World War II was happening. There was like all sorts of anxiety in the country, and she quoted St. Julian of Norwich, who says this, All things will be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And she proclaimed that to her people. And that was what St. Julian of Norwich had written back in the 1300s. And these words were so impressed upon her that she wanted to share those words to her country. T.S. Eliot wrote that in his poem, The Four Quartets. Because this is, these are words that have been passed down because they're rooted in truth. <laughs> the, 
They're rooted in the fact that all things will be well because of what God has done in the person of Jesus. He has made all things well through the power of the resurrection. So friends, that's why ultimately we can look to Jesus. We can look to the person of Jesus and know and rest in and have expectation of the fact that all will be well and all, thing, all manner of things shall be well because of who God is. Friends, I invite you to rest into that. That's where you're going to find true joy, in the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for Philippians, that we can know, that we can have joy because of who you are and because of what you have done. So help us in our prayer life, help us in our thought life. Not that this is a chore, but this is actually, I I pray that you would inspire us through your goodness, through your beauty, through your truth, that you would inspire us to abide in you, to look and to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Fix our eyes on you. We pray you would give us joy as we abide in you through word and sacrament. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we come now to a time where we continue to worship through our offering. God is a good God who loves to give us good gifts, and he asks his people to give to uh, the mission of his church, which is to embody his love in this place.